Good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, man, so good to be worshiping with you guys this morning. If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 17 this morning. And uh, I am really excited about this. This is our last Sunday um, in John 17 in this section we're, we're calling the upper room where Jesus has been. We've been looking from John 13 to 17. And in that whole section, Jesus has been in this upper room, his last moments with his disciples as they have traveled with him and they've seen everything that Jesus is capable of, everything that he's calling the world and his followers to, he takes them into this upper room and um, has this extended time that he spends with them and then uh, he will go from here. Like after he utters these words, he will be betrayed, he will go and he will lay his life down to die for his people um, and ultimately rise again. So this is the, the last words in this. And when we come to these last words, I think these are um, some of the most stunning, powerful, countercultural words in the whole Bible. And, and what's hard about this, when we come to words that Jesus is speaking that are hard words, that are countercultural words, what's hard is, I feel in myself, and I know we're all prone to this, what's hard is it's it's difficult to follow Jesus, to take his words literally when they're hard for us to obey. It's very hard. And it's, what's very easy to do is we look at the culture and the world around us and we start to think, maybe Jesus didn't really mean what he said, right? Maybe, maybe it just sounds strong. Maybe he didn't really mean that. And what, what we have this tendency to kind of just go with the flow and go along with what everyone else is doing, go along with what makes the most sense to us in our hearts and how we conduct ourselves and to kind of just um, take it easy with Jesus' words. But I am here this morning to be a fundamentalist preacher, okay? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, preach the Word of God strongly, literally, with, with great conviction, and insist that when Jesus says these words, he actually means what he's going to say. And to say that we, we have an obligation to take what he's saying and to take it literally and to take it seriously and act, to act according with it. Now, here's the problem with that, okay? Here's the problem. Jesus this morning is talking about unity for his body, Okay, so if I were to stand up here and say, let's take the word of God literally, and we're going to read something about the Bible's sexual ethics, for example, right? And I say, let's take that seriously and literally, then everybody um, applauds. What a great conservative preacher, right? What a, what a strong biblical stance, how brave, how amazing, right? Um, but when I stand here and say, the passage is about unity, Jesus is talking about love and being united together, right? And I say, let's take that literally, let's insist on it. It's like, ugh. This guy's getting into some liberal territory here, okay? Um, this is soft. This is wishy-washy, right? No, what I'm here to say is Jesus is here, okay? His last moments with his disciples, his last moments, he's praying for them. These are the last words that he will utter in their presence before he goes to the cross to die for them. These words matter immensely. And Jesus, you're going to see it. The way that Jesus says it, he means what he says, and we have an obligation to take it seriously and literally and not water it down. So, Join me in this. It's going to be fun. I love it. Um, Jesus gives us three things in this passage um, that I think are um, the, the grounds for this oneness. And we're going to walk through each of them in turn. So let's start here um, with, thank you, Bruce. Uh, we're going to start in verses 21 and 20, or 20 and 21 here. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
So here Jesus is speaking, and he's praying. Okay, he's prayed already. We've seen this in the, the previous two weeks. He's prayed that they would experience the eternal life that he offers. And that life, he says, is knowing um, God the Father and knowing Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So there, there's this knowing, this, this um, life found in Jesus aspect that he was praying for his followers for. Then last week we looked at, he prayed that we would be uh, not taken out of the world. He says, I don't, don't take them out of the world, Lord. Keep them there. I want them in the world and, and send them in. In the same way that I've been sent in the world, send them out into their community, into their world. Don't let them huddle up or, or get isolated from everything, but send them in. And now he's saying he's going to pray that we would be one, that we'd be united together. And I love the way he starts this. He's not praying for these only. Okay, these would be the 11 disciples that are there with Jesus still around the table. He's not just praying for those. He's saying, I'm praying for those that are going to believe through their word, right? So who is that? Ultimately, that's us, right? It's us. It's everyone at every church that's meeting this morning across the nation and around the world. It's also every Christian that's lived every church for the last 2,000 years. These are the ones that he's praying for. And what he prays for is stunning. He prays that not just these 11, but this whole, whole, whole huge worldwide group throughout all of history would all, he says, all together be one. That's a crazy prayer. That's a prayer that, that there's no way, like how could Jesus have meant that literally? How could that be? No, he prayed, God, make them all one, unite them, join them together. This isn't a oneness. If it's just the 11, right, he might find some common ground to join these 11 together on. Say, hey, we can get unity amongst this group of 11. What can we all agree on here? Let's be good. But when he broadens it and prays for us today, right, and us throughout history, when he prays that broad, what ground could there possibly be for us all to unite on and to be one on. It gets really broad, it gets really messy, and it goes beyond a love and a unity of preference, a love and a unity of the people who are just like me and who do things just like me. So this is different than, okay, if you, if you were uh, with me in college, when I was in college forever ago, and uh, I was there, and you know, if I walked into like a frat house, okay, and I tried to convince the guys in that frat, frat house, like, you guys should all frost your tips and, uh, and wear your visors backwards, right? Like, no, I didn't need to convince them of that. They were all dressing like in sync already. That's just who they were. And that was the grounds that brought them together, right? That's the reason they're together is because they, they like being frat buddies together. And they dress the same and they think the same. That's why they became a fraternity, right? This is different than that. Because look at us. We're different from each other, Right? We're not identical, right? There's, there's varying ages in here, right? There's varying um, beliefs in here. I bet we voted different in some of the elections, right? There's different things that we're committed to that we do. And so this difference is still, he's not saying make them all exactly the same. He's saying make them one, join them together. There's a diversity. We are a diverse group. This is a diverse group. The, the church is meant to be, inherently, it's meant to be diverse. And yet he still prays for unity, knowing the group that is diverse that he's calling to that unity. And the unity that he's calling us to is not superficial. It is not the kind of thing where it's like, okay, let's just pretend that we agree. Let's just not bring it up. No, the unity that he's talking about here, he says it in verse 21. He prays that they would all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So the, the model for this unity, what does the unity look like? It looks like he's saying, Jesus, like, Father, as you're in me and I'm in you, he's looking at the Trinity and saying, we have this oneness, okay? Think of the oneness of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all together in one. He's saying, that is what I want for these people. 
I want them to also be in us. I want them to be brought in and collected in the same sense of tight unity that we have with each other, Father, within the Trinity. I want them to have the same thing, that same sense of being in, being connected, being close together. Um, it is crazy to imagine that Jesus would use the Trinity as his model for what it would look like for us to be united. Because that is huge. That's a tall, tall order. And the reason, I mean, Jesus is putting so much on this. The reason why, why does he want us to be one? He says it there, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Okay? Jesus is saying, I want them to be one so that the world can see, can believe who I really am, that I came from the Father and came to you. And look, for the last 2,000 years, the church has been all about, let's convince the world that Jesus was sent by God, right? Like, that's our whole thing. Let's go tell everybody how amazing Jesus is. Let's tell everybody that Jesus came from the Father, that he died because he loves us, right? So that's been our whole thing. But what have we done for that, right? We, we think, okay, let's, let's come up with like apologetics where we, we take the intellectual reasons for like the design and creation or the historicity of the resurrection, all those things, and let's explain to people why it's logical that they should believe that Jesus came. Now, that's all great, okay? And, and like that, that's all helpful and everything else. It's helpful to me. But this isn't the method that Jesus is giving for convincing the world that Jesus was sent by God, is it? We've done things like, let's do a big event. Let's have a bunch of food. Let's like send out a bunch of mailers. Let's get everybody to come in. It's fun in here. Come join us. We'll show you that Jesus came from the Father, right? But again, that's not what Jesus is advising. I think over the last 2,000 years, we've tried everything to convince the world around us that Jesus was sent by the Father into the world. We've tried everything except the one thing that Jesus said would convince the world that he was sent by God, which is what? Unity. He says, if my people, if these people could just live together as one and be united in love for each other, that's going to convince the world that I've been sent from the Father, right? We've tried everything but that. Do you guys want to try it together? Let's do it. I think it'll work because God says it does, right? Let's do it. It's like this. If, if I ask you, okay, um, do you believe that Pope Julius II commissioned Michelangelo to paint the Sistine Chapel, what would you say? Well, first you'd, you'd uh, Google, like, did Pope Julius do it, right? <clears throat> but how would you, like, go about verifying that? Well, you, would, you could go to the Sistine Chapel, right? And you could look at the ceiling of this beautiful chapel, and you can be like, this artwork, yes, this was painted by Michelangelo. I believe that he was commissioned to paint this thing, right? I think that's kind of what Jesus is saying here, is saying, look, look if, you, if, if this group of people existed— if we could really see this in existence, a group of people that love each other, that care about each other, that are united together, they get past the superficial differences and even the big diverse differences, if they get past those things and live together in the midst of the world, then that's the kind of work of art that you can look at and say, oh wow, Jesus really did come and do something in the midst of this world. That's how we see and how we believe. And so Jesus is calling and praying Lord, would you do this with this group of people so that the world can see who I really am? I've been sent by you. Okay, so the first um, path to oneness here, I think, is, is having this connection, this, this oneness, this um, being included in proximity with the Father. The next one we see in verse 22, he's just continuing to pray. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. So again, there's that purpose statement, so that they may be one. What did he do to help us be one? It, the glory that the Father gave to the Son, the glory that Jesus himself received, he's giving to us. He's, he's passing that glory on to us. He's including us, wrapping us up in that glory that he himself received, and that is going to help us live together as one. Now, this is maybe a little bit counterintuitive, maybe a little bit confusing, 
But I think it works like this. Um, I, I, the, the way it's helped me to think of it this week is in 1 Corinthians 4. Um, I'm going to try to go. Yeah, there we go. 1 Corinthians 4. Paul is talking to this group of people that's all just like, they're all over the map. And they like, um, some of them are like, Apollos is this great teacher. And they're like, hey, I'm like an Apollos follower. Like that guy is the best preacher. I love being with him. Others like, I'm all about Paul. Others are like, I'm all about Peter. And so there's all this division. And Paul comes to them and he says, look, I've been talking about all these things. I've applied them to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So what he's saying is he's saying, look, look, don't go beyond what's written, right? God gave us these words of scripture. Don't go like further than that, right? I've given you plenty of words to like think about and to shape your life around. Don't like go beyond that and say, okay, yeah, but we got to interpret it in this way. Or or, like, hey, I'm the one that's figured this out right. Or this system is a little bit better than all that. He's saying, don't like go further than what's written. It's all there. It's great. Because what happens is when we go beyond that, when we start saying, my interpretation is the right one. I insist on these things being emphasized. When we do that, he says, what you're doing is you're kind of like puffing yourself up, like one better than another. And then he says in verse seven, right? Like, Who sees anything different in you, right? And what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received everything that you have, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? He's saying everything you've got, everything that makes you different from each other is all just like a gift from God's grace. But what we're doing is we're sitting here holding ourselves up and saying, I'm better in this way, right? I'm special because of this, right? This makes me different. This makes our church, our brand, our thing different than the ones around us. And he says, when you do that, you're just like, man, God's given you all this grace and you're holding it up like it's something that makes you great. And and when you do that, there's all these fragments that come, all these factions, all these divisions that come. And we all find ourselves divided against each other and we're all grumpy about everything. He says, set that all aside. Set that all aside. Don't go beyond what's written and just receive the grace that you've been given. And I, I think it works like this, man. If we're a group of people that all insists on being seen as special in our own ways, we're not pointing people to the ultimate glory of God. Now, you have to know, most of you know this about me, I have like a huge man crush on Mr. Rogers. And so I'm not going to stand here in front of you and tell you that you're not special because you are, okay? But it's the kind of specialness that works together to point glory to God, ultimately, okay? And so God, we've talked about this the last few weeks, he is glorious, right? There, there's, um, the, the Bible ends with this picture of a new heavens and a new earth, and everything is healed and perfect and beautiful. And in that space, there's not even a sun or any light because God the Father, he himself is the light. It's this like radiance that's just coming out from him. His glory fills everything. But it also says, and we've talked about this in the last few weeks too, it also says all of us are made in God's image. Like every single one of us is made in God's image. And so we're reflecting that glory of God. And the beauty is, is that we all reflect God's glory a little bit differently, right? There's the things that make us special, right? These are the things that show people who God really is and how amazing he is and and all the incredible things, his fingerprints on all of us. It just looks a little bit different, but together we can shine that together into this bigger picture that shows the glory of God rather than simply calling attention to, I'm special because of this. I've got to lift myself because of that. It's all about God's glory. Do you you guys remember the first time you saw like one of those... um, picture collages where you take the individual little pictures and you put it together into a computer program and it shows you like one bigger picture. I was in college the first time I saw that and it's all these little pictures of our group. You put it in the computer and it shows like, you know, this one big picture. It's like, that's amazing. Well, maybe a little cheesy now. I don't know the mosaic thing, but here's the thing. That's, that's a picture of the church, right? We're all these little individual pictures 
all kind of showing the glory of God, and it comes together to show this bigger thing. So the glory of God actually is a thing that unites us, right? It keeps us from having to build our own kingdoms. It keeps us from having to insist on building our own brands and our own empires. And instead, when we just lay that down and we say, I'm going to reflect God and I'm going to be everything that he made me to be, we come together and God's glory saves us from the division of trying to make ourselves glorious. And we can instead focus on him. And there's a unity that comes in the midst of that. The problem happens when we start looking at the things that make each other different and we start insisting, okay, no, we've got to be exactly the same. Oh, you can't, you can't disagree on this thing. Oh, you can't emphasize that thing. And we start policing each other and we lose the nuance and the shades and the beauty that draws us into what God is doing. So the oneness that comes through our proximity and our connection to Christ, the oneness that comes through the glory of God. And then in this next verse here, uh, let's see. No, the next verse here, verse 23, he gives us a third one. And it's all about uh, unity through love. He says, I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. These words are, are incredible, okay? I in them and you in me, okay? So Jesus is saying, I'm going to be in my disciples, my followers, and Father, you're in me. He's, he's drawing us into the life of the Trinity. There's an invitation here to be part of what God the Father experiences with God the Son and God the Spirit. Like, we're drawn into that. And he says he wants them to know um, that they, so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. And picture, I mean, just think about it for a second. How, how what is God's love, God the Father, what is his love for God the Son like? How much does God love Jesus? Imagine just Jesus on earth and God the Father up in heaven and just picturing, man, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, right? Imagine just how like proud and accepting and loving and everything that the Father is towards the Son. And Jesus is saying, Lord, would you please just help them to know that you love them in the same way that you love me? That This is how God views us. This is how God views us. I think so much of our pain and the wounding that we've done over the last couple of years and over the last couple thousand years, so much of that wounding comes from this deep-seated like insecurity that we have, this sense that we're not good enough, that we're not loved, that we're not accepted, and it comes from our striving to kind of like earn our spot or earn our position or to distinguish ourselves and to step up above somebody else. And as we have this like lack of love, this lack of acceptance deep down, we're in this pain ourselves and we wrestle and we fight and we start to jockey for position. The elbows come out and we're trying to kind of clear a space for ourselves so that everyone can see I'm lovable, right? I'm loved by God. I can be loved by all of you. And we're trying to, and instead here's Jesus just saying, Lord, please, Help them to know that you love them in the exact same way that you love me. Help them to know there's this fundamental love and acceptance. There's no shame that we experience in Christ. There's no judgment that we experience in him. There's nothing that we have to prove to anybody. There's no way that we can separate ourselves from the love of God as we just sang. Help them to know that baseline acceptance and love. And as we do that, right, the reasons that we have to be upset at each other or, or to put ourselves above somebody else around us, those things begin to disappear and they become less important and we stop having to prove ourselves and we can just look at each other in love and in grace and truly want the best for somebody else because we're not jealous and trying to prove ourselves. And it's so important. So Jesus says, um, praise this in verse 23, right? He says, so that they may become perfectly one. 
they may become perfectly one. Jesus is saying this. This isn't me. I wouldn't dare to go as far as to say, you know what God wants for us? He wants us to be perfectly united, like completely, right? If it was me, I'd be like, you know, I think like we could do with a little more unity, right? We could probably get along a little bit better, but Jesus is standing here and he's a crazy person because he's saying, make them completely one, perfectly one, right? So that means, like, let your imagination go wild. What would it look like for a a group of people to be, like, united together as one, right? How far can your imagination go? How, what would that look like for a group to be one and united? And I think Jesus is saying, he's praying way beyond anything we can imagine. Perfect, complete unity. Let that be true of my followers. Let them be true of these people so that the world can see, so that they can know how deeply that they are loved by God. I mean, just imagine what we'd be like as a group of people, as a community together, if we had this unity and this love for each other. I think of my family. My family, my family is imperfect, okay? Close, but we're not there yet. And I go out in the world, okay, and I, I experience rejection in different levels. I have hard meetings. You know, there's things that are just like hard and frustrating in this life, okay? But I get to come home at the end of the day, and though my family's imperfect, I walk into an environment where I am loved and I'm accepted, and I don't have to be anything other than what I am, and I don't have to be afraid of sharing my opinions, I don't have to be afraid of being rejected, because it's my family, and we love each other, right? I think, man, that's what we should be as a church family, right? There's hard things in the world. Life is really hard. We're going to wound each other, too. Like, that all happens, but could we be what Jesus is calling us to be, this group that is completely one, that's there for each other, that loves, that accepts, that keeps us close where our unity goes beyond just like thinking the same things all the time. I mean, we, we can all agree on this doctrine, that doctrine, that doctrine, that doctrine. We can put the list together. At some point, we come to something that intellectually we disagree on. We read it a little bit differently. We emphasize it a little bit differently. And when we come to those things, I don't think Jesus is saying perfectly one because they all believe the exact same things. I think that's heaven. Heaven's going to look like that where we all are like, oh, that's how it all fits together, right? That'll be amazing. I can't wait. <clears throat> But short of that, I think this perfect oneness looks like we are like ferociously loving towards each other, right? To the point where like, man, if I love you to the extent that Jesus is talking about, then it doesn't matter that we disagree. I wouldn't be able to stomach the idea of of being separated from you, right? Of being angry at you, of holding something against you. If we're like ferociously loving each other like that, And we can disagree on a lot, but I love you so much as a person. And I think he's saying, make the family like that. Not a think tank that all agrees on the same thing, but a community that's built on love, that's united around our love ultimately for God and for each other. And so now these last few verses, 24 to 26, he just takes all these themes and he ties them in. He just puts them all in this prayer to, to the Father, the last words that he'll speak in their presence. He says, Father... I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me before you, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Here's Jesus just praying for his people, and he, he longs to be with us. So he's praying for us. Remember, he longs to be with us. When times are really hard and, and everyone's like fighting and the world's on fire, I think I cannot wait to get to heaven, right? Like, get this world done with. I can't wait to go there and be with him. And here's Jesus saying, I can't wait to be with them, right? We want to see him and be with him. He wants to see us and be with us, and he's praying for us. He wants us to be with him, it says in verse 24. 
He says he wants us to see his glory, says that in verse 24. He wants us to know him, says in verses 25 and 26. And he wants us to experience the love that he has for us in verse 26 and the love that we have for each other. This is what Jesus wants for us. So, so much of Jesus' last words here are about this loving community, this, this unity that he wants us to have. And it makes me think of this. I mean, there's so much that we can um, dream of and accomplish. There's so many ambitions that I think the Lord would put on our heart. And I think we should go hard after all those things. But when I read this, I think maybe so much more of our ambition should be within arm's reach. Like just within, like these, you, I can reach all of you guys, you know? You're here, you're my family, right? You're, you're in arm's reach. And so my ambition should be not to transform the world, right? But to like bless my community, to, to look at people that I can practically love, to be within, in the same way that Jesus came into that gathering and he got on his hands and knees and he washed their feet as the first act and told them, I want you to go and do the exact same thing. To be, to look at this and say, look, these people in this room, this is my family. I, I, can, I can reach them to wash, wash their feet. I can reach them to love them. I can reach them to forgive them. And, and it is tempting to go onto social media and build our platform and to say the big things and to have a far reach. And we, want, we may want a bigger stage and a bigger platform and ways that we can reach beyond. But I think the ambition should start here and say, hey, these are a group of people that I can love. And trust me, it's going to be hard enough to love these, right? Because it also includes the first service people. And they're tough, Okay. And it includes the, the streamers online and everything else, right? But to just look at that people and say, you're within my arm's reach. This is my ambition. This is what my life is for, to reach and to find love here. And it's not unity around an organizational structure. I mean, right now, currently, and then throughout history, the church has organized itself in vastly different ways, okay? It's not a um, unity that's built around worship style, okay? Worship styles differ dramatically from church to church. I don't think that's the unity that Jesus is talking about. It's not a unity around um, preaching priorities and what's good to talk about and how much do you mix this or that into there. We have so little agreement on these things. Um, it's not even a unity on doctrinal alignment, even though I think we are church to church way more aligned than we tend to think that we are. I think the unity he's calling us to is unity in our love for Jesus and each other. It's a unity of the mission that we have um, together, like the, to, to show the world who Jesus is by loving and serving each other. I think that is the way that we can really be united and connected to each other. The, the enemy of unity, man, there, there's so much division, and, I, and this is where I say I think the culture is reaching in. I, I was thinking this week about how the country that we live in, right, is called the United States of America, and that feels pretty ironic right now, doesn't it? There was a time in which that made sense. Oh, yeah, like not just the states, but these are united states, right? We haven't said that in a while and meant that in a while because we are divided over so many things. And what happens is there's like literally an industry with like CNN, Fox News, every other media outlet you can imagine. There's an industry built around getting us to be upset at each other, right? To point out our differences and say, hey, hang on, disagree about this. You already disagree. Oh, this person's awful over here. And there's this whole industry built on finger pointing, okay? And I'm not like anti-media or anything else. I'm just saying you make money when you get people upset at each other. And I think what we've done inside of the church is we've followed that exact same model and we start pointing our fingers at everybody else that thinks a little bit differently or acts a little bit differently or, or they worship this way or they, they preach that way. And we all just get so upset and it's the worldly values, it's the worldly approach just creeping in. And man, we can just step away and say, okay, the enemy of our unity is trying to highlight all the differences we have trying to find more ways, like we're kind of functioning like metal detectors, trying to find, okay, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. I think there's something we disagree on here. Let's like figure it out. Okay, there it is. That's the issue. Let's get upset about this now. We can't do that. 
We can't do that. There's so much to be upset about and to disagree on, right? There's also so much for us in Christ. There is so much that we can agree on, right? And, there's so, and the bottom line, there's so much love that we constantly, already, and forever receive from Jesus himself. We live in a world where we're loved by the creator of the universe. Like that's just objectively true. We are loved by the one that created this universe. And there's nothing we can do that will separate ourselves from this love of God. We live in a world where Jesus himself, God came into the world and offered himself for us. We live in a world where we are accepted and there is grace and there's love, where we are called in to be a family together, to be united and joined. That is a beautiful place for us to live. And so I think as Christians, we can be more like peacemaking, loving people than like the news stations that point out the differences. I think we can be people that lean into the things that Jesus is calling us into. I think that this command, this, this idea like Jesus saying, praying that we be united, that we be one so that the world could see who he really is, it's too important to disregard. It's too important to dismiss as though it's just like a soft thing, a compromising thing. No, Jesus said this. This is the last words in the hearing of his disciples. It should not be surprising, although it kind of is to me, it should not be surprising that his last words were about unity because what did he say the greatest command was? The most important thing to do for us, the greatest command is love God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? This is who Jesus is and we've distorted it and we've lifted, there's an, an ironic tragedy in the fact that we've taken every jot and tittle and every reason that we might disagree and we've lifted that up to the status of like a second law and we've been bickering so much about these things instead of saying, you know, Jesus did say the most important thing was love, right? And he did say that his final prayer for them is let them be united in the same way that I'm united. This is the prayer that he prayed immediately before he gave his life. To allow, us to, be, to, to, um, to allow us to find life so that we can be united together is that important to us. And I'm telling you, it has been increasingly important to me. Um, our unity, I, I don't know exactly what it looks like. I don't know all the details of that. I, I have my dreams of what a truly loving group of people were. And I, in my mind, somewhere in like a, a worse part of myself, it means everyone just agrees with me, you know? Think of the peace we would have if you guys just all agreed with me all the time, Right? Just be like, oh, Mark, just what a faithful leader. He just always says the right things, and we all just agree with what he says, right? But that's not how it works. It just isn't how it works. I, I, I don't know exactly how it works. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but Jesus literally prayed this for us, and I have been literally praying this for us too, and I would love for you all to join me in literally praying for this, that we'd be joined together, united.